0: Shalom, shalom. My name is Ariel ben Lyman HaNavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehi Latunavah in Thornton, Colorado. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. Let's open with prayer. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King. Lord, we bless you tonight, and we say we thank you. We love you, and we know that we serve a risen King. His name is Yeshua. He is our Lord. He is our Master. And we come tonight to glory in his name, to soak in his spirit, to, to sit at his feet and to learn of his words. Lord, we ask you to give us the opportunity to press in, to strengthen our resolve to to do what is right by your ways, to, to learn of your Torah, to put on the new man of Christ, to to be filled with the spirit, to walk into the Torah and to share the good news with those around us. Give us a heart to do righteousness. Give us a, a mind to uh, uh set our, our uh set our um hands to do uh, uh the commandments. Give us uh the desire to share, to witness, to speak of the things that we know are sure. Help us to be strong, help us to resist, help us to seek after. Your Kingdom, help us to hunger and thirst for righteousness, give us the um, uh, the knowledge that we are walking by your name, that we are living by your words, that we are uh, upheld by your promises. Lord, we desire to put on the armor we desire to keep ourselves from evil, we desire to to hide your words in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. Fill us with your goodness and your mercy, and cause us to um, to worship you afresh tonight. We thank you for the book of Galatians and for Paul and for um, the relevant information that is contained in this book. Thank you for the opportunity to share with each and every one of the students tonight. Lord, I take the responsibility seriously as a Bible teacher and I pray that you'll continue to uh, give me um, strength to speak and to be bold and to be a witness and to be a light. Uh, Bless each and every student who's joined tonight pray that you will open their ears to hear truth, and may they hear your voice as we study. We'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise in all of these things. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Well, let's date stamp our recording. Tonight is uh, September 10th, 2016, and we're on week 40. That's right, we're, we're just up against a semester break. If you recall... From uh previous studies, if you 've been listening for any length of time, then you know that each semester is about ten weeks long, and then we take a break for two weeks so this means uh, after tonight we won't meet on the seventeenth and we uh, that is if we meet on a saturday we won't meet on the seventeenth and we won't meet on the twenty fourth we'll pick up the uh study again at uh basically the near the end of September or the beginning of october, so two week break no more uh, uh no more study for the next two weeks. Uh, that being the case, I invite you to go back during the two week break and catch up on lessons that you may have missed, podcasts that you haven't finished listening to, um, or if you're you're lagging behind and you're not, you're not quite understanding the study, uh, you can shoot me an email during that time, and uh, I'm more than happy to uh, dialogue with you. Um, visit my website at www.tatesaytorah.com. And if you want to shoot me an email, just look in the uh, look at the very top, or I'm sorry, scroll to the very bottom of any of the web pages, and there's a little icon that looks like an envelope. Click on that, you can shoot me an email. My name's Ariel, and you can also um, click on the Galatians Commentary while you're on my site, and just uh, read. You you can read behind, you can you can read past uh, teachings, or you can read ahead if you like. Um, I'm I'm fine either way. That being said, let's jump into some liturgy. For those students who are with me tonight, who've joined me by way of Skype, uh, if you look at your screen, let's entertain the blessing for the learning of the Torah, the Birkat Torah. And I'll go ahead and read the English first, and then I'll read the Hebrew. So, let's read this. Blessed art thou, Lord, our God, King of the Universe, who has selected us with His commandments and commanded us to join... I'm sorry, let's try that again... Commanded us to engross ourselves with the words of Torah. Please, Lord, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouths of all your people, Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel. May we all together know your name and study your Torah for the sake of fulfilling your desire. Blessed are you, Lord, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the nations. And gave us the Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. May the Lord bless you and keep watch over you. May the Lord make his presence enlighten you, and may he be kind to you. May the Lord bestow favor on you and grant you peace. Let's go back and read the Hebrew of that. Um, for those of you who are in the class with me tonight, you can see I've got the Hebrew pulled up on the screen. If you can read the Hebrew, then uh, you're certainly welcome to read along with me, not out loud. If you've joined me by way of Skype, please mute your microphone. Uh, if you're going to be talking, um, just read to yourself. The Hebrew reads, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kitshanu b'mitzvotai v'tzivanu lasok b'divrei Torah v'ha'arev na Adonai Eloheinu et d'ivrei Torah t'cha ufiot amcha bet Yisrael v'nichyeh anachnu v'te'etze'enu v'te'etze'ei amcha bet Yisrael kulano yudeh hashmecha Yom De lord velum uh, I'm sorry velum De Torah kalishma baruchata Adonai Hamlamid Torah laamo Yisrael baruchata ronai lochin umelakha olam shir vacharba numu amim vnatan lanu et Torah to baruchata Adonai noten haTorah and the erotic benediction that's captured in this blessing yirakha Adonai v'yishmerecha yirot Adonai po'nei v'lecha Yes Yisim Shalom. Alright, let's pull some uh a passage out of the New Testament, the Apostolic Scriptures, along with the corresponding Greek. Since we're talking since we're still right in the middle of the um summary section in our study tonight, and since we're talking about um covenantal gnomism, this idea of doing the Torah uh, for the sake of maintaining covenant membership or maintaining loyalty to the uh, loyalty to the uh, uh, covenant, etc. I've selected Galatians 5, one through 6 once again because of verse 4. I'm sorry, because of verse 3, where Paul says, "I every man who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law." I understand circumcision here to be a, a kind of a metonym for um, uh, taking on legal Jewish identity for a Gentile and then the obligation to keep the whole law would be the um, the works of the law that gets added to Jewish identity from first century perspective. So, um, let's read this passage, and I'll read the Greek, and then we'll just jump into the study. Verse 1. This is from the ESV that I'm usually uh, uh, choosing. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love let's read the greek of that as well and um when you're when you're listening to the greek i'm i'm fond of reminding the students to listen for the words uh the word namos in the greek which is law uh listen for the word uh, dikaiosune or something similar to that that dikaiosunes uh dikaiuste. anything with dikai in it is a, a relation to uh reference to the righteousness that the gentiles and jews were seeking in that day uh righteous acquittal by god righteous um, declaration from God's perspective. So let's read the Greek. Te Lutheria, hemas Christas a Lutherosin, stakata un kai me pollen zugo duleas in a Ide ego, Palas lego human, hati pertem pertemnesta, Christas humas uden o felace, marturo mai de pollen panti anthropo nomeno, hati o felates. Estin Holland naman poiesai. By the way, uh, actually, in this uh, for verse three, um, when I talked about uh, you who would be uh, obligated to keep the whole law, the word law there is is a derivative. It's not actually namas, it's here namon. Um, uh, so let's pick up uh, the reading again in verse four. Catetergete to apokristou hoitenes in namu, and there there there's our law there. Uh, those who would be justified. Uh, 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 by the law and those who are severed from Christ who are trying to be justified by the law. There's that uh, Namos there. Namo decaiuste, tes caritas exibisate. Verse 5. Hemes gar pnumati, ek pistios elpida. Decaiusunes epic de decametha. And verse 6. In gar Christo uh ute uh, per tome ti u ute. Acrobustia, la pistis dia in ergumene. Okay, that's our Greek reading for tonight. Let's jump into the study. Uh, last week we left off near the bottom of page. Actually, we left off near the top of page seventy-seven, where we we're about to read this quote from Tim Hague explaining um, uh, Habakkuk two four: "The righteous shall live by faith." And we're really talking about this idea of faith and faithfulness being two sides of the same coin in both the Hebrew language, the Greek language, and really the mindset of those who would read those verses. Let me back up and get a running uh, start. Um, We'll back up to the the top of page 76, if you've got the written commentary. Um, And we'll start with the paragraph uh, about what we learned. Remember, we're in the summary section, which is topic 9 for my commentary. And we're just, this is basically an overview of of what we've learned in the Galatian study so far. And this particular section of the summary is entitled Covenantal Gnomism. What we learn from our studies on this topic, actually, I'm sorry, it's Covenantal Gnomism and Justification. Sorry about that. What we learn from our studies on this topic of of, uh, justification, um, covenantal nomism, things like that, is that axiomatic for Paul in his teaching on covenantal nomism and justification? Is his messianic understanding and application of Habakkuk's famous pasuk, the famous verse which we just quoted, "The righteous shall live by his faith." Habakkuk two four, which again we we already know it's it's lifted for us in Romans one. Uh, I think it's one seventeen. Um, the right, the just shall live by faith, the famous um, passage that uh, got Luther uh, thinking so so much uh, in Habakkuk two four The last half of the verse is usually translated, The righteous shall live by his faith. If I were to bring up a list of um, of different versions, which we're going to talk about in a second, you'll see that most of them translate the righteous shall live by his face, based on the fact that the that the uh, Hebrew word for em, for uh, faith is emunah, and it it's parsed out as emunato. And whenever we hear the to in uh, Hebrew, typically that's the uh, the genitive, the possessive, meaning his faith. In this case, emunah, faith, to, his. The righteous shall live by his faith, not just the righteous shall live by faith. So we've got the last half of the verse: "The righteous shall live by his faith." But based on one Hebrew word in the verse, the, the word "emuna," it could just as easily be translated, "The righteous shall live by his faithfulness." Emunato, emuna is faith, but it's also faithfulness. So um, that's a very important for us to consider, especially from Paul's perspective when he's trying to explain about justification. That is, how is one brought into the people group of God? How is one uh, declared righteous by God? Is it by his faith or by his faithfulness, or perhaps both? Let's keep reading. The Hebrew word emunah is both faith and faithfulness. We're at the top of page seventy-seven now, which is why, if you look it up in the, uh, Habakkuk two four in the uh, the NIV, the uh, the NLT the N-E-T and the G-W-T, the, uh, they all have faithfulness for this word instead of faith. And I think that's a good rendering. I, I, it's not either or. In my opinion, I'll just tell you right up front, it's both. In other words, it's one coin with two sides, faith and faithfulness. Uh, interestingly, I found out that Young's literal translation has steadfastness. Kind of interesting uh, translation there. So let's let's uh, work our way towards uh, Tim Hague's quote. The origin words for faith and faithfulness, as I mentioned earlier, share a noun and verb relationship in both Hebrew and in Greek. Tim Haig of TorahResource.com explains the Hebrew and Greek noun and verb cognates this way. So, uh, listen up. One of the major difficulties we encounter in our discussion of trust, believe, and faith-slash-faithful these words that we find in our Bibles is that we have, uh, I'm sorry, is that there's no corresponding verbal form of faith in the English language. You understand what he's saying? We have no way of saying that one quote "faithed" end quote, or that someone is quote "faithing" or "faithing" in God. We we don't speak that way in English. We usually say someone is believing something like that, or one believed. Yet in both Hebrew and Greek, Heg goes on to say the word group expressing the concept of faith also contains a verb cognate. So when we say that one has faith in the noun, then in the uh, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, we can also just know that there's a verb cognate. So faith and faith and believe and believed, or uh, uh, things like that. So for instance, Haig goes on to say, the Hebrew word aman, uh, which he's translating as to be supported, uh, from which we derive the verb to believe, has the corresponding noun emunah. Uh, just as a side note, aman is is the Hebrew word where we get the uh, where we get our word um, amen from, and also in in uh, Greek, I think it's just tr- uh, transliteration of the Hebrew, uh, ome- uh, amen, If I if I remember, so basically aman to be supported. Uh, gives rise to the verb to believe, and it has the corresponding noun, emuna, which means faith or faithful, which is why we translate it that way. Likewise, if we turn to the Greek, we have pistio, which we usually translate it as to believe, and it has the corresponding noun, pistis. See how they're related? Pistio, the noun, has the cor- I'm sorry, pis- pistio, the verb, usually Greek verbs end in O sound, pistio, To believe has the corresponding noun pistis, which means faith or faithful. And unfortunately, many English readers don't realize that believing or having faith and being faithful all derive from the same word group, whether in the Hebrew or the Greek. Let's uh, look at the footnote here. I pulled this uh, from uh, Tim Hague's letter writer book, FFOZ Publications, uh, page uh, 17 and 18 if you've got the book. And Tim makes a note that the um, speaking of the uh, um, the word aman uh, that he uh, referenced the call stem, which is a, a, a form of the Hebrew root word, shows up one time in the Tanakh in Lamentations 4:5, and the root meaning of support it is actually derived from the meaning attached to its usage in other forms. The uh, Brown-Driver-Briggs-Gesenius uh, lexicon. Uh, Conf, uh, offer, confirm, or support as the root word, root meaning of that particular word I'm on. All right, let's go back into my commentary. So basically, the way I see it, faith and faithfulness function as two sides of the same coin and that they're both precious in God's eyes, right? The just shall live by faith, but the just shall live by faithfulness. It's not that there's one or the other. It's not that you're going to have faith and not... Display faithfulness. Nor is it possible to display genuine faithfulness without having genuine faith driving it or supporting it or undergirding um, your faithfulness. Rather, from the biblical perspective, using um, from the biblical per- perspective using the Hebraic mindset as well as the Greek mindset, uh, and seeing it from God's vantage point to as best as we can. Both are precious to God. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we're saved by works. I'm not saying that the person is justified by faithfulness in the sense that a person is saved by his faithfulness. He's not saved by the faithful works that he does. He's saved by faith. But what I am saying, as I keep reading my uh, commentary, what I'm saying is that genuine faith will lead to genuine faithfulness. And... In this sense, righteousness, when we're talking about dikaiosune and di- di- dikaios, uh, those words that we encounter in the Greek when we read through Galatians that we've been saying, that I've been highlighting in my commentaries, righteousness, you know, being declared righteous, being declared justified, um, can be defined in two ways from a biblical perspective. And I say defined, I mean can be categorized, can be observed, uh, to be displayed in the Bible in two ways we have behavioral righteousness which is um what most people would be call, would call um uh sanctification it's actually doing what's right and then we have forensic righteousness which is essentially what christians call justification or faith um forensic righteousness which is being regarded as righteous in this, in, in these two senses in the sense that we we're we're, be, we're uh declared righteous in this sense that a God has declared a person cleared of guilt for past sins right that's part of the justification the behavior of the um the forensic righteousness that we uh take on when we when we put on messiah so that's one sense, and then there's another sense it's b that God has given a person a new human nature inclined to obey God rather than rebel against him as before so we we get both of these when God declares us righteous. Uh, From his perspective, when God brings the gavel down in our favor because of what Messiah has done for us and because of the fact that we have accepted the Messiah's atonement on our behalf, God declares us righteous and he gives us not only the declaration of righteousness, in other words, he clears us of of guilt, but he also uh, empowers us. He he, uh, gives us a new volition, a new will. He, he gives us the ability to um, want to do right. He uh, gives us a new inclination to, to uh, obey Him, and that's in fact what leads us to actually walk into righteousness from a behavioral slash um, just a sanctification perspective. Makes sense. All right. In other words, God doesn't just save us and then leave us leave us to ourselves to try and figure out. What it means to walk in righteousness. He empowers us by His Spirit. That's why He puts His, places His Spirit within us. That's why He fills us with His Holy Spirit and calls us and uh, um, those types of things. So, um, Millard Erickson states it this way: quote, "Sanctification is a process by which one's moral condition is brought into conformity with one's legal status before God." End quote. And that seems to make sense to me. If you have been declared righteous by God, if you have been justified, or to use 21st century lingo, if you've been saved, then it's only natural that you should have a heart to want to walk after righteousness and do what God asks you to do. You should not um, want to run back to sin, especially after God cleared you of it. If you do then you might want to check yourself. You might want to rethink your salvation experience. That's at least according to the way I understand the Bible to um, demonstrate genuine salvation as uh, as um, recognized from God's perspective. So let's keep reading. We're almost finished, actually, with um, this particular section on justification. I'm sorry, on uh, covenantal momentism and justification. We're actually in the section called Justification, and I think we're going to make it to Acts 10 tonight as well, uh, make it to and finish it, and then we'll we'll probably take a bite out of the under-law section um, in the next half hour as well. So, let's keep reading. Uh, we're in my commentary near the bottom of page, what is that, 77? Let's start in this paragraph here. Thus, our verse in Habakkuk really, in my opinion, is a fitting one for our study here in Galatians on faith, and faithfulness, right? Remember the verses I keep reading? Um, a person who's trying to be declared righteous by keeping the law. It's not so much that they're trying to be declared righteous by their works, so much as they're trying to attain membership into Israel by being declared legally Jewish. If they weren't born with the status, you know, if they are born a Gentile, they're trying to make it into Israel so they can get that Stamp of salvation approval, that that stamp of covenant membership, that stamp of stamp of belonging to the people of God. That's the first step, and then as they um, as they maintain their life as an existing covenant member that they gained by becoming Jewish, the Gentile enjoins himself to keep the Torah, or as Paul describes it, to keep the whole law Galatians five four, um, Galatians five three. Um, he enjoins himself upon Torah obedience because it is it is the the mechanism of keeping Torah that the covenant member believed would help keep him or maintain his position as a covenant member. The, the covenant membership that he earned by either born, being born Jewish or becoming a Jew. So it's not so much that he's keeping Torah to gain membership into the group. Rather, he's keeping Torah to maintain and to remain in the group and to have God declare him um, uh, a covenant member uh, at the end of day. At the end of the day, so that's kind of the language that I understand Paul to be using in his letters to Galatians, and sometimes you see this carried over into Rome. So indeed, the, the Habakkuk passage, I, as I continue, this passage is a decisive verse for the Apostle Paul. We already know that because we we read it in Romans chapter one. Here, the famous phrase, "The just shall live by faith," from Romans one seventeen, must be understood from the original context of Habakkuk, to mean that the righteous person lives on the basis of his faithfulness. In other words, he's not saved on the basis of his faithfulness, he lives his life according to existing faith that he's already placed in Jesus. In the time of Habakkuk, if we were to go back and get the historical context, um, which of course Paul obviously knew, but many of us modern Christians do not know, the nation was being torn in her loyalties, whether to trust God in the covenant he had given or to ally herself with the nations for protection, to ally herself with uh, the nations that were around her. So, Habakkuk's statement is made with this in mind. The righteous, that is, those who have faith in God, will live, that is, be protected and sustained by faith, that is, by demonstrating a faithful trust in God and his promises. That's how I see the verse. So, it is um in this understanding of faith that paul carries uh that Paul carries into the argument of Romans and is sustained throughout the book, thus, as I conclude the section on justification, the righteous shall live by faith and quote that phrase doesn't simply mean that he will claim to have faith but then knew nothing about it. This is the unfortunate view that has been kind of pushed in modern christianity um I, I'm not Accusing all Christians of maintaining the fact that they, that all they need is faith in Jesus, and they don't have to concern themselves with faithfulness to God's word. That's not really what I'm trying to say. What I am saying is that there seems to be a popular teaching that goes around these days, and it it didn't just start in the 21st century. It's been going on for a couple hundred years, if not a couple thousand years. That essentially the the primary thing that one needs to concern himself with, with as a Christian is faith in Yeshua, faith in the Messiah, faith in Jesus, and then don't really focus on faithfulness to the Torah. That's essentially the the challenge I'm presenting to those of you who are listening to my commentary who might uh, have a background from the traditional Christian perspective. Faith and faithfulness, as I understand it, are both important to God, and I don't exactly know how God... Takes faithfulness and binds it together with faith, so that both become a uh, uh, one coin with two sides. Meaning, it's not that we're saved by by our works, but that the works follow genuine faith. We know that works follow genuine faith. That's what that's the biblical view. And if you're a Christian reading my commentaries, listening to my commentaries, and you hear me saying that the works that should follow your faith are should include. Uh, faithfulness to the Torah, well then you've got it right. I think that part of the works that we should be doing as Christians is keeping the Torah. Not just keeping the New Testament and being good to our neighbors and loving our neighbor and loving our wife and and things like that, if you're a husband. Uh, The works I think should include keeping Torah. Why not? Why not? So on the contrary, as I conclude, if a, a Christian has genuine faith, then I believe he will demonstrate genuine faithfulness to the God that he claims to have faith in. Meaning, I believe he'll demonstrate genuine faithfulness to the Torah sooner or later. I think it'll show up that way. And this may not always mean that he embraces Sabbath right away. Sometimes it takes years for you to, to understand that the Sabbath has not been done away with. Rather, faith and faithfulness are the way that you'll live. They will be your, your pattern of life. The way I put it in my commentary is, faith, in this faith and faithfulness, he indeed shall live. So, you live by your faith in Yeshua... It's really quite simple as I, I i think it is you live by your faith in Yeshua and you live by your faithfulness to Yeshua's words and what are Yeshua's words? Well, we know he is the one who authored the bible he He is the word made flesh uh we know that um um that that um he is the one to through whom God created all things and through whom God sustains all things and to whom all things uh all things belong so The words of Moshe are really the words of Yeshua. So why not embrace the words of Moshe? Why not embrace the five books? Why not walk after a Torah-observant lifestyle? Why? Why should you? Because they are your works. They are the faithfulness that God anticipates. In in fact, I'll add one more feature, and then I'll uh, move on to Acts chapter 10. You're not even going to be doing it by your own strength. That's the wonderful part of walking in Torah. God promised by his spirit that you would be able to walk after the Torah because God wrote the Torah on your heart and God empowers you by the spirit to do it. So God wills you to do it and God empowers you to do it. Therefore you can do it. Whoever said you can't keep the Torah has not studied the Torah, has not studied the New Testament. All right, let's um let's move down into Acts chapter 10. I didn't spend a lot of time in the uh Acts chapter 10 ...in the uh, commentary proper, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time in the uh, summary section here. Let me just jump over to Skype real quick and check to make sure that all the students who are joined with me can hear me. If you're with me in Skype uh, tonight, I uh, just want to make sure you've got your microphones muted... ...and uh, you can see my screen when I jump back and forth. So, um, let's turn to Acts chapter 10, uh, or turn to the summary version of it. This is just a real quickie, uh, just to remind you of what we covered... I found that as I study Acts chapter 10, that um, if you look at it from the perspective of Peter's interaction with Cornelius and his family, and if you um, carefully get the context of the chapter itself, you're going to find that it's really not a vision where where Peter sees the sheet with all the animals. It's not really a vision telling Peter to avoid um, keeping kosher anymore, to abandon keeping kosher that's, I've heard that commentary, I've heard that interpretation, um, I I disagree with it, I don't think it's the strongest com- interpretation of the passage. What did I find? Let's read. In section 6 of this commentary to Galatians, we conducted another test case using Peter and the account in Acts chapter 10. I say test case because I've got this hypothesis that a lot of what what you're going to find in the New Testament is this idea of... Um, covenantal nomism, as seen through the lens of works of the law, um, Jewish identity for the sake of covenant membership, and uh, Torah keeping for the sake of maintenance of of covenant membership. That's my hypothesis. That's my my thesis. Um, What we found as we studied Acts chapter 10 is that the Jewish nationalism that was present in Paul's Galatians was also very much alive and well in Peter's book of Acts experience with Cornelius. To be sure, Peter himself needed... To be taught a very valuable lesson on Gentile equality and Messiah, and I believe that that's the reason Hashem sent the vision in the first place. So what I found is that if the rabbinic literature that's that survived the destruction of the second temple is any indication of the pattern of religious life in first century Israel, then the Judaism of paul's day I'm sorry of Peter's day held to the common belief that Jewish Israel held an exclusive place among the righteous peoples of the earth. They had basically, as I described it, they would hijacked righteousness, they would hijacked um, uh, an audience with God, um, possession of the Torah was basically a trophy in their hands, and it was wielded uh, in such a way as to restrict membership into the people group unless you went through the uh, proselyte conversion process. <clears throat> Let's keep reading. Um The poison, I call it poison, the poison of ethnocentric Jewish exclusivism that permeated the first century Jewish society had erected a wall of separation between your average Jew and your average Gentile. Go back and read Ephesians 2.14 with this in mind, where Paul talks about um, the wall of separation. I think that's um, Mm -hmm. part of what's going on in Peter's um, experience with Acts chapter 10. And because of this social view, the the view that uh, that was really maintained in, in the first century, because of this, your average gentile, I'm sorry, uh, because of this, many religious Jews sought to keep a a, a measured distance away from most gentiles. Uh, basically, uh, they believed the average gentile to be intrinsically unclean uh, or um, defiled. Uh, we we talked about those two Greek words, um, koinos and akathartos. Uh, we talked about that. how that koinos is, uh, um, uh, I'm sorry, yes, uh, koinos is essentially this idea of this man-made declaration of, of unfit for use um, just based on maybe um, contact with other peoples or uh, something to the idea that um, man looks at something that God declared as clean, for instance, like beef or lamb, and because it came into contact with that which was common – you know, like Gentile contact, or maybe a contact with uh, idols, then um, um, a religious Jew might declare that item, food, as uh, koinos. And then a akathartos was this idea that God declared it off-limits, like what he might say in Leviticus chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 14, foods that were declared unclean from a biblical perspective. And we talked about these two ideas, and we didn't really flesh them out. Uh, perhaps if you're interested in that, maybe we can go back through that uh, someday, or we can, um, we can uh, do a study on Acts chapter 10 along with me if you'd like to uh, look at those two words a little bit more closely. But your average religious Jew kept a distance from your average Gentile um, because the, the, the Jews were seeking to keep clean, to stay clean. And they didn't want to defile themselves uh, lest they be restricted from access to the temple. And the Gentiles were essentially capable of transmitting ritual purity to the Jews. At least that was their perspective. Um, or, at the very least, Gentiles were often thought to lead Jews away into idolatry. That was another reason why religious Jews uh, often, not always, not exclusively, avoided Gentile contact. They didn't want to be led away into idolatry. Lest they be cut off, suffer the penalty of karet. So, what we found is that a careful reading of the Greek of Acts 10 and Peter's conversation with God showed that this simple fisherman was also blinded by the prevailing Jewish traditions and bylaws that sought to avoid Gentiles at all costs. And it took the Spirit of God to open Peter's eyes to the truth that in Yeshua, Jesus, the Gentiles too can be cleansed by the power of Messiah's blood. So go back and read Acts chapter 10, verse 34, verse 35... And verse 43, to specifically see Peter's language, where he talks about, oh, and I'm paraphrasing, oh, now I understand, God doesn't play favorites. Anyone who comes to trust in God through his Messiah, Yeshua, can be declared righteous by God, can be justified by God, can be filled with the Spirit of God. And the proof is, at least for Peter at that time, was the, the, the that the Holy Spirit had fallen on um Cornelius' house, Cornelius' friends, Cornelius' family members there. And the Jews were witness to that. And remember, the thing that made this all the more amazing to Peter and his Jewish companions was the the nationalistic view that the Holy Spirit was reserved for Jews only. Specifically, religious Jews. But the Holy Spirit was the spirit of holiness that was only poured out on existing covenant members. That is, Jewish covenant members. So how could these Gentiles receive the otherwise exclusive spirit of God without having undergone the formal conversion to Judaism first? How is it that God was recognizing them as righteous, as genuine covenant members, only by placing their faith in Yeshua and bypassing the man-made ritual conversion? That's the eye opener for Peter. That's when he realize that God doesn't play favorites. That it's not about that, that, that. covenant membership doesn't hinge on ethnicity. That covenant membership and justification do not um, uh, depend on being declared legally Jewish from the uh, perspective of the authorities of that day. That's when Peter really began to understand. That's when he put together the he put together the vision. That the sheet that was lowered down wasn't a test of of Kashrut, it wasn't a test of whether or not Peter's going to eat unclean food or, or or remain clean by only um, eating that which was permissible according to Torah. That's not it at all. The sheet contained all manner of foods which represented all manner of people groups. So that's what's going on. So, you guys understand what I'm saying here? I think most of you are. Most of you have been following my commentary for any length of time. Uh, believe that I don't think that Acts chapter 10 is teaching an abrogation to the cash root laws, the dietary laws. Uh, that's not the vision meaning. In fact, if you don't take my word for it, take Peter's word for it, right? Peter himself says in those verses that I highlighted, 34, 35, and 43 of chapter 10, now I understand that God doesn't play favorites. Now I understand that that it doesn't matter which people group you belong to. Peter doesn't say, Oh, now I understand god's God's lifting the dietary laws. Wow, that was such a burden as i you can hear the uh the, the sarcasm in my voice. Wow, that was such a burden that no one could keep such a such a yoke that no one could bear this this trying to keep kosher all the time when it's so much easier to eat ham and shellfish and 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 things like that. no, that's not it at all that That doesn't really accomplish anything in the eternal plans of God to lift the dietary laws. From a salvation perspective, what was most important from God's perspective is that Gentiles be brought into the people group just like Jews. And the way they get in is the same. Faith in Jesus, faith in Yeshua, and being filled by the Spirit. So um, I really believe that there's a better way to read the passage. And I think if you go back and read it that way, you're going to find that it fits more with the context of the rest of the New Testament. To be sure, it fits better with the context of the prophecies given about the Gentiles coming into Israel, joining Israel, uh, joining themselves to Israel's God, uh, uh, accepting Messiah's yoke, and really becoming one people group, as described in uh, Ephesians. So let's keep reading. Um, Let's look now at uh, the section under the law. This is uh, a phrase that is often touted, often taught, often championed, in Christian circles, to mean, in a word, we don't have to keep the Torah as Gentile Christians. In other words, um, there's a there's a phrase, This phrase is found in Galatians, um, but uh, it's more often quoted from its location in Romans chapter six. I think it's verse fourteen to fifteen, um, where Paul says, um, "If you're under the law, you're not under the grace. If you if you've uh, well, I'm butchering it." I should have it memorized, but for some reason I'm drawing a blank. So, those of you in the class, let me just pull up Romans chapter 6 for you real quick. Uh, I'm just going to use ESV, since that's the one I'm, I'm familiar with in the uh, commentaries. And Romans 6, we looked at this in my commentary, but let me quote it for you. Romans six fourteen and 15, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you're not under the law, but under grace. Verse 15, what then are we to sin? Because we're not under law, but under grace, by no means. And then Paul goes on to talk about um, uh, are you going to be a slave to sin or are you going to be a slave to righteousness? But this phrase, under the law, under the law, it's very popular in Christian circles. It's very vogue to teach that under the law means that you're obligated to keep the Torah. And therefore, when Paul says in Romans, you're not under the law, but you're under grace, this seems to be Paul's way of saying, you're not obligated to keep the law, but you're obligated to fall into the grace of Messiah. Um, Something to that effect. So let's read what I wrote in my commentary and see if that's what I think Paul's saying in Romans and in Galatians. Beginning with section 7, we turned our eye, a little typo there, we turned our eye to another one of Paul's famous law phrases. Remember, we got uh, under the law and works of the law. Earlier on in the book of Galatians, most often we found that the technical term under the law, in quote, quote-unquote, under the law, was also used as another way to speak of Jewish identity. Right? Sometimes under the law means that. Uh, for Gentiles wishing to be included into Israel, uh, what I found is that the man-made ritual known as conversion could ostensibly secure this legal identity. I say ostensibly because from from a, from a man's perspective, from a limited perspective, uh, Covenant perspective, Israel seemed to be micromanaging what I call the immigration into Israel in first century, and uh, basically they were declaring Gentiles to be Jews, even though we know from an uh, from a um, from a heredity, from a heredity perspective, from a heritage perspective, uh, from a, a what we might call a uh, a racial perspective, if we can spin Judaism that way for a moment. There's no way, way to really change one's um, ethnicity if you're, if you're really tying it to biology. You're not really changing anything biologically at all. It's, it's really a legal decoration and uh, a loss of some skin and some blood, right? to be quite graphic. But that's what the Jews were doing to the Gentiles in the first century. And all of that to declare them legally standing Jews. So Gentiles were brought into Israel through the ceremony. By the time we get to the latter half of chapter 5 of Galatians, um, however, Paul had changed his polemic tone and was now assuring those truly in Christ that if they're led by the Spirit, they're no longer slaves to the old nature, viz they're no longer under the law. We also read that having the mind controlled by the old nature is death. It's really neat that if you read Galatians chapter 5 with Romans chapter 6, in view, if you have both of them open or read one right after the other, you're going to find that they both speak of this idea of of under the law and having your mind controlled by the old nature of death. And Paul's really explaining that you're either going to be a slave to sin because you haven't accepted God's free offer of um, righteousness through his son Yeshua, or you're going to be a slave to righteousness once you are declared righteous by God himself. You can't have it both ways. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Conversely, as we read, as we discussed under the law, having the mind controlled by the indwelling Ruach Kodesh is life and true shalom. Those who are controlled by the flesh cannot please God, Paul says in Romans, and uh, that's Romans chapter 8, and they're destined to suffer the ultimate punishment that Torah spells out for unrepentant sinners and uh this this is basically condemnation ultimately it's condemnation if you don't accept god's gracious offer to um uh, uh accept yeshua then you're 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 basically headed for condemnation that's the ultimate punishment so this under the law condemnation give me a moment here this under the law condemnation aspect is what i believe paul meant by its usage in galatians 5:18 Galatians 5.18, and his theology is taken squarely from the Torah proper, when Paul says that if, if you're not in Messiah, you're under the law, you're under condemnation, you're under the punishment reserved for unrepentant sinners, for remorseless sinners. This theology is rooted in the Torah proper. Specifically, as I say in my commentary, to be, quote, under the law, in quote, is a pejorative position. And it's originally hinted at all the way back in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 29. Let's read this. Let's read verse 19 through 21. Quote If there is such a person, when he hears the words of this curse, this is Moshe speaking, he will bless himself secretly, saying to himself, I will be all right, even though I will stubbornly keep doing what I feel like doing, so that that I, although dry, that is sinful, will be added to the water, that is, the righteous. But, as I keep reading this uh, passage, uh, I think it's verse 20, but Adonai will not forgive him, Moshe says. Rather, the anger and jealousy of Adonai will blaze up against that person. Every curse written in this book will be upon him. Adonai will blot out his name from under heaven. And then verse 21, Adonai will single him out from all the tribes of Israel to experience what is bad in all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the Torah. End quote. And if you're in the class with me, you'll see that I've highlighted in verse 20, but Adonai will not forgive him, this person who says to himself, um, I'm going to stubbornly keep sinning, even though I'm dry. In other words, um, I think I'll be added to the water that is added to the righteous. I'm going to stubbornly keep doing this. Adonai will blot out his name. I'm sorry, every curse will written in this book will be upon him. So if you think about it, from God's perspective, if you are not if you're not declared righteous by god specifically if you're thumbing your nose at God's commandments and you're you're purposely walking stubbornly sinning purposely walking in disobedience to what God is commanding you as a covenant member then you're you're going to find that you're you're going to be declared uh cursed you're 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 going to be in a position where God doesn't forgive you. Uh, Moshe describes it as every curse of this book will be upon you so question question those of you who know a little bit of English grammar if the curse is upon you, where does that put you that means you 're under the curse you're under the law right if I play with the phrase under the law that means you 're under the curse of the law so I think that 's what paul means in in romans um in in his romans use there of Romans six that we just read in in uh romans six uh fourteen or fifteen Sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the curse of the law. You're not under the condemnation of the law. You're under grace. And why would you be under grace, according to Paul? Because you've been acquitted. You're under the grace of Messiah. You're not going to receive the declaration of sinner. You're not going to fall under the punishment that's uh, reserved for sinners. And you're, not, you're certainly not going to be condemned at the end of the day, on Judgment Day, because Jesus has uh, paid the price. He has cleared you of guilt. And that's why Paul would say, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the condemnation of the law? Because we're not under condemnation? Because we're not under the ultimate penalty? And we're not under God's thumb of judgment? Are, are we then to say, wow, this is a license of sin because God's not going to punch me. It's almost like the person um, being uh, speeding down the road with this assumption that he's not going to get pulled over by the police because he's been given some kind of free pass from the judge, you know, he's been acquitted by the judge of of a previous speeding ticket. So now he thinks it's okay to speed because he's not going to get uh, hauled into court and given a ticket and given a fine and getting his points taken off his license. That doesn't work at all. Everyone understands my analogy. Well, it's the same thing going on in the Bible. God's not saying just because I cleared you of sin, cleared you of guilt, declared you righteous, and and placed you under the grace of my son, that now you have a license to sin? Perish that thought. So Paul's trying to say, are we to sin because we're not under the penalty of the law, but under grace of Messiah? By no means. That's what it means under the law. It doesn't seem to make any sense for Paul to say that sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under obligation to keep the law, but you're under grace. Romans 6:14. That doesn't fit the context of any of Paul's commentaries uh, to the law that we read about in his letters. That doesn't seem to fit with the theology of the uh, passage that we just read in Deuteronomy. Doesn't fit with any of the um, covenantal language that we read about in the Torah. Once God declares you acquitted, go ahead and start sinning. Doesn't fit. Um, what then? Verse 15 of Romans 6. Are we to sin because we're not under obligation to keep the law, but under grace, by no means, also doesn't fit with the context. So it's better to read at least this version of um, of uh, under the law as the way I'm describing it. So let's go back to my commentary. The passage in Romans, now that I've kind of um, emphasized it a bit, clearly teaches us, and the passage in Galatian and uh, Deuteronomy here that we just quoted, it clearly... It clearly teaches us to have that to have every curse written in this book upon you, is to be in a state of not forgiven by Adonai, viz, under condemnation, viz, under the law. Right? I think it makes perfect sense. Uh, if you still have questions about this, you're listening to this commentary after the fact. Maybe you dialed into this audio podcast from iTunes, or you've you've uh, downloaded it from my website. Shoot me an email if you have any questions about this this concept of under the law meaning under condemnation rather than under obligation to obedience to the law. As I go on to say, only the Spirit of the Holy One writing the Torah on the heart and mind can bring the participant to the intended goal of surrendering to the Mashiach and out from under the curse pronounced in the law. You can't do it by yourself. Human ingenuity can't bring, can't rescue a person from the condemnation spelled out in the Torah. Human religion can't do it. Human affiliation uh, with a people group. You can't convert to become a Jew and hope that you're going to be out from under the condemnation of the law if you reject the Messiah of Israel. Only faith Messiah will clear you of guilt. Only faith in Jesus will bring you out from underneath the, underneath the condemnation of the law. Human will can't do it, human strength can't do it. The flesh will fail you only the holy only the spirit of the holy one right He can do it with our natural mind. We read the law, we read the Torah, do this, and don't do that. and as I see it, we have a tendency to misunderstand the grace behind the words we We heap to ourselves legalistic views. This happens to believers as well. We redo this and don't do that. And we think that God is imposing a, a an ironclad restrictive, um, uh, what do we say, um, policy uh, or set of rules on us that if we deviate in, 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 to the right or to the left, that God's going to bring down his hammer of judgment on our heads if, if we step out of line. That's God's, or you know, to use the old uh, classroom analogy, is going to flack us on the head with a ruler if we if we break one single law. Uh, you know, God says, "Don't do that. Thou shalt not." Um, that's not how God works. God's not a stone cold legalist, right? We are under grace. We are going to disobey from time to time, and that's why we have the grace of God to help us um, make mistakes and correct those mistakes. Yeshua came as I say, to explain the gracious intent, the gracious intent of every command by explaining the primary thrust of the Torah in the first place. This is what I mean, what I believe Yeshua means when he said, I didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it, to, I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill, to strengthen, to set it on a, a more sure standard by giving you the example to model after, namely my own life. This is Yeshua speaking, in Matthew chapter 5, the famous uh, 19 through t- uh, 21, I think. Matthew 5, somewhere around there. Um, I didn't come to do away with the law. I didn't come to abolish the law, but fulfill it. I think Yeshua gave us the, the the perfect example to model after. He was perfectly Torah observant, but he modeled Torah obedience. But he also explained, as I go on to say, he explained the primary purposes behind the Torah. And what was that? Leading the readers... Of the Torah to a genuine trusting faith in the Messiah found therein namely himself, the primary purposes of the law was not just to get us to keep the laws. Moshe tells us that um God gives us i'm paraphrasing parts of uh deuteronomy chapter thirty one um, the laws parts of the law were given, and we know this to be true because paul's going to um, confirm this in Romans chapters nine and ten. We know that, that one of the primary purposes of the law was to highlight the Messiah to lead the the covenant member down the path of righteousness right into the arms of the messiah, the, the messiah who 's waiting for him to to accept his his uh, atonement and such uh, that 's what Paul means in Galatians, where he talks about the the pedagogue uh, leading the uh, the person to the teacher of righteousness who's the pedagogue the pedagogue is the torah itself in the hands of the holy spirit leading the student the boy the boy in this case which would be us the jew or the gentile seeking after god leading us to the teacher of righteousness and who is the teacher of righteousness in that galatians passage it's none other than yeshua himself so and we're going to read about this uh, i'm just getting ahead of myself so um those uh, give me a moment. Let me pause uh, in my teaching. I'm trying to make sure that my students were able to make it into the class. I didn't see anyone join, uh, even though I gave out the Skype link. Let me just check real quick. And we can edit all of this out of the conversation if I need to. I didn't see them join, but maybe. Uh, let me keep reading the commentary. I've got about just about a minute or two left. Um, I think I'll read this commentary, and I, I, I think we'll be able to make it through this this passage, this uh, paragraph. And that way we'll make it through this section on Under the Law and we'll be poised uh, when we return from the break to talk about the uh, section on Shomer vote, top of page 80. So in my final paragraph to this section on um, Under the Law, those of us who claim membership in an existing Torah community, the One Law Movement, a.k.a. the Messianic Jewish Movement, which... Most of the people listening to my voice right now, most of the people who join me uh, uh, each week on Skype, you belong to this group. Listen up. We confidently affirm and teach obligation to Torah commands for both Jews and Gentiles in Messiah. Amen? That's a good place to say amen. And yet Paul says in Romans 6.14, like I referenced earlier, that we're not under law but under grace. The difficulty... In correctly interpreting Paul is in understanding that his uses of the word law in many of his letters applies the definition from the context, which means the root Greek word use uh, for law, namos, equals law. It can apply to a variety of definitions. Paul's quote-not-under-the-law phrase in Romans 6.14 is preceded by, quote, for sin shall not have dominion over you. In quote. We already read the verse earlier. So, the way I see it, in this verse, as I conclude, law does not mean we are not under obligation to Torah commands. That's the popular Christian interpretation of Paul's words where he says we're not under the law, we're under grace, meaning we're not under obligation to keep the law. Rather... And as I, I said this before, but I'm just reading it now for us to so you can have it articulated in case you want to copy and paste this and send this to your Christian friends and family who who hold the opposing view. Rather, under the law here most naturally functions in this verse as shorthand for ready for this? Quote, not under the bondage of sin and therefore under the condemnation of law, end quote. Which, as I see it, is a just condemnation that's reserved for unrepentant sinners. And the reason we're not under the condemnation of the law is because we're not under bondage. And the reason we're not under bondage is because we've been set free and and are under the grace of Yeshua's blood. Makes sense? Sounds Seems to make sense to me. So, with that in mind, um, let's go ahead and conclude uh, this portion of our commentary. Uh, remember, we're on week 40, which means we're on the semester break next week. We will not meet next week. We will not meet the week after that. Take uh, take an opportunity for these two weeks to uh, enjoy yourself, relax. Uh, I recommend that you go back through my commentary if you have time. Go back and uh, catch up on old podcasts that you did, haven't finished listening to. Um, when we return from the break after two weeks, we will um, be ready to start uh, week 41 with the top of page 80. Uh, we're right in the middle of the uh, summary section, and we're going to start this Um, topic called Shomer Mitzvot. Let's close in prayer, and for those of you who are in the live class with me, you're certainly welcome to stick around for about the next 10 or 15 minutes. I'll entertain questions and comments, uh, things like that, about the study. Let's close in prayer. Abba, I bless your name and I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that you have acquitted us, that you have set us free by the power of your Son, Yeshua, that you have declared us righteous in your sight, that you have set us on the sure foundation, that our feet are placed upon the rock, and this man's name is Jesus, and we praise you and glorify you for that. We revel in your in your wonderful work. We know that it's not by our own, our own righteousness. We know it's not by our ethnicity as Jews. We know it's not by our conversion to jewish identity as gentiles we know it's not by keeping the torah we know it's not by our penance or by belonging to a people group or being born into christian families or any such thing we know it's only by your mercy and your grace that you have declared us righteous and that you have brought us into the family of god both jews and gentiles together one new man declaring that jesus is our righteous king rallying around his banner and declaring that his kingdom is the only true kingdom and that his words are everlasting. Thank you, Lord, for filling us with your spirit according to your promises, according to your covenant-keeping power. Cause us to walk in your ways. Cause us to have a heart uh, for your ways. Cause us to have a heart for the people of God. Bless us, Lord, as we continue to study the book of Galatians week after week. Help us to learn of Messiah, to put on the uh, uh, the words of Yeshua so that we can be pleasing to you so that we can walk in the righteousness that you've already empowered us to do so help us to put on the mind of Christ so that we can know what is good and acceptable and, and your perfect will bless us as we go tonight uh, go forth uh, into the week um, a new week and um, uh, help us to continue to press in Thank you for all these opportunities. I'll be, uh, we'll be careful to declare all of these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O oh Israel... What does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good? To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And He chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism.